Welcome. Welcome, listeners. Thank you for choosing to join me for the third edition. That's right, third edition of Functionally Speaking, a podcast more adequate to the challenge of the human condition. I'm your host, DJ Moran. And before we go any further, the informed consent disclaimer. The material presented and opinions expressed on this website and in these podcasts hereon are simply those of the individual participants and do not represent the profession of psychology or represent expert advice. They do not speak for acceptance and commitment therapy or any other therapy in general. These materials are for entertainment purposes for professionals interested in modern cognitive behavior therapy and behavior analysis. This information is no substitute for reading primary sources and gaining supervised therapy experience from a professional. Listen at your own risk. Thank you, Lindsay Folk. I have an exciting podcast for you in this edition, but before I bring our guests in, so to speak, I want to tell you what I have in my hot little hands. It's the tentative schedule for the ACT Summer Institute 4. It's in Chicago this year, and Emily Neelan Rodriguez, Patty Bach, Stephen Hayes, and I, not to mention plenty of behind-the-scenes graduate student volunteers, have been working to make this year's convention a success. Just to give you a little teaser, I think that this particular ACT Summer Institute is going to be very exciting. There's lots of uh, new blood and lots of seasoned professionals going to be there. And I'm really excited to tell you about a few, uh, a few things that are going to be happening. John Forsyth is coming. Um, he's an ACT community statesman. He's been involved in this community for a very long time, and he's making his first appearance at a summer institute. He's going to do a workshop on anxiety, doing a workshop on Tonglin, and doing a workshop on kindness. Um, there's also the triumphant return of Vijay Shankar's Vipassana meditation sessions in the morning, and I highly recommend those um, to anybody. Even if you did them last year, I'm sure you're going to do them again. And if you didn't get a chance to do them last year, or this is your first Act Summer Institute, I highly recommend going to those morning sessions. And I am personally excited to see that Glenn Callahan will be making an appearance um, with Jen Gregg, giving a talk on acceptance commitment therapy and functional analytic psychotherapy. So I think that this particular conference is going to be exciting. I hope you're getting geared up for it. The pre-conference is May 26th and 27th. And the convention proper starts on May 28th. That's a Wednesday and goes through Friday. Um, the cool thing is it's also on the heels of the ABBA convention, which is in Chicago. The Association for Behavior Analysis, their convention starts the Thursday before so we've got like a behavior analysis marathon happening in Chicago at the end of May, and I hope to see you all there. Um, another ACT community staple is Hank Robb, and he's giving a workshop at this year's ACT Summer Institute on spiritual reality. And he's been shaping this presentation over the last few years. Last year when he gave his talk about spiritual reality, I had an opportunity to talk to him about it after his workshop. And that interview is up next. Enjoy. Hi, folks. This is DJ Moran, and I'm meeting outside the Bayou Building at the University of Houston in Clear Lake. And I'm sitting outside with Hank Robb uh, at the uh, ACT convention. And uh, Hank made a presentation at the ACT, ACT convention about uh, spiritual reality. So we're just going to get a synopsis and maybe talk a little bit uh, with Hank about his talk. And uh, I'm curious just to start off, Hank, uh, if you just want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself. 
Uh, I'm a psychologist in private practice in a suburb of Portland, Oregon, and um, I'm uh, 61, so I've been around a while. I've got a couple of kids. The oldest one is grown and not being a lawyer. The youngest one is in college. Uh, I started out in the REBT world and uh, have uh, moved into ACT um, and have had a longstanding interest in religious and spiritual issues. Uh, including getting myself recognized as a humanist minister and from time to time performing marriage ceremonies. Okay, neat. Um, appreciate the background, especially on your interest in spiritual reality. And uh, it was a long presentation, it was about three hours, but I'd be interested if you could summarize some of the key points of your spiritual reality presentation for everybody. Well, um, I think one of the key issues is, especially in the United States and, and maybe elsewhere around the world, I don't know, but increasingly there's a growing number of people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. And so if you are interested in spiritual development, there are some assumptions uh, about the nature of spiritual uh, life that uh, are just sort of given. Uh, you can take them and see where they take you, or you can take others and see where they take you. And one of the important assumptions of this approach that uh, I was uh, looking to develop and put forward is that it's monistic, that uh, you have uh, hands and feet and arms and mouth, and your hands aren't your feet and your nose isn't your, aren't your eyes, but you also have a spirit. And uh, just like you have hands and arms and feet and mouth, the spirit is not uh, anything other than what it is, but it is also a part of the one being that is you. And so you can uh, develop that aspect of you, you can put it to work for you, uh, but uh, just like the one being that you are, you came into existence, you'll go out of existence, uh, there's not another place, there's not another time, this is the place, this is the time. Um, and while uh, a lot of discussion in uh, spiritual language is metaphorical, the point is to keep remembering, oh, this is a metaphor. If I take it literally, then I'm not going to be able to see through it to uh, what it's pointing at. And so uh, it's important to keep metaphors translucent uh, so that they don't become opaque and block the very thing you're after. Okay, neat. Um, in your presentation, you uh, had something called the formula for human liberation. And um, it's in your slideshow, which is going to be available to folks maybe on the ACBS website. Um, and it says, by making myself do something unpleasant and refraining from doing the pleasant, uh, in service of doing something I make more important, I will never have to be a slave to circumstance. Yeah, this was the point all of us were supposed to get in high school from my point of view, and most of us missed it. I'm, I know for certain I did. But uh, the point of high school is not really English or mathematics or science, whatever. These are really all side benefits. Uh, in high school, people give you homework, and you don't want to do it. And there you are, confronted with this thing that you don't want to do. But in the service of either actually learning something or making better grades, and anybody who's been around schools for a while knows those two things are not the same, 
you make yourself do the unpleasant homework and you refrain from doing things that would be a lot more pleasant, the list of which is usually longer than your leg, and by doing that, uh, you are liberated from whatever the circumstances are. Uh, and if you have that principle, then it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You'll always be free, really, literally free to act, that the price of admission to freedom may be uh, not doing something that you feel like doing at the moment or making yourself do something that you don't really feel like doing at the moment. But if you pay that price, then freedom is yours. Now, some of us in high school, what we learned was, well, let's do that in order to avoid something negative. There's nothing positive that we really want. It's really another avoidance move. And then you don't feel liberated. You feel like a slave. Okay, cool. So you, uh, your idea is saying, you know, do something, um, even, if it's, even if it's unpleasant. Um, as, long, as long as it's in the service of something you hold more important, and then I would add, and it's not, the thing you're trying to hold more important is not about escape. It's about going towards something. It's about moving in a direction that, to you, you're going to make important with your footsteps. Okay, interesting. It uh, sounds like it's um, related to um, values work as it's discussed in the ACT literature. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I like to talk about values in terms of leading principles and uh, if you think of a compass, uh, if you get the thing, it points to magnetic north. And if you start walking and you're sufficiently supplied, you, you eventually get to that place on the planet called magnetic north. And then the compass needle spins around, and every time you walk away from it, it points you right back where you come from. But uh, if instead you use that compass and went either east or west, you never get to a place that's like magnetic north, where every time you walk away, it points you right back where you came from. You're like uh, the commercial in the United States of the Energizer Bunny. You just keep going and going and going and going. Well, what I like to call leading principles works like that. No matter where you are in life, you just check your leading principles, and then off you go in that direction. Now, it's easy to start talking, when you are talking about this, to using words like, oh, I see you get on a path. But I don't think that's really accurate. If you look backwards in your life, there is a path because you made it. But if you look forward, there's only wilderness. Nobody has ever lived your life before. There's been plenty of human lives lived, but not yours. You're the only one really who can do it. But you can get direction, and that's what leading principles provide. So you're saying that... Um when you have these leading principles, they um, allow you to make your own way through a wilderness, through a place you've never seen before. The path you make is behind you. In front of you isn't seen. You're not following someone else's sidewalk, someone else's road. However, principles, values, you know, the important stuff to you gives you a direction even through a wilderness and you cut your own path is that what i hear you saying yeah exactly if you're on a path you're on somebody else's path you know somebody was there before you well uh at least from the perspective i'm bringing forward uh there isn't you know this is not a life that's already been lived and you're living it again uh it's 
this is it. This is, uh, you might say metaphorically, the golden lotus world. There's no place else to go. Uh, in the Thomas Gospel, which unfortunately was not the one, uh, one of the ones included in the Orthodox uh, Christian uh, Bible, uh, when the Christ figure is asked, when will the kingdom come, he doesn't answer by expectation. It's not coming in the future. He says, the kingdom of the Father will not come by expectation. The kingdom of the Father is spread upon the earth, and men, and we might add women, do not see it. So the spiritual uh, approach that I'm suggesting is it's right here, it's right now. Open your heart to it and move in the direction that you're going to make important. If you leave your house and go to work, uh, yes, you left someplace. Was the point just getting away from home or was it to go to work? Well, some days maybe it is just getting away from home. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about going towards something, not getting away from something. Okay, it sounds like what um, we're discussing here is a natural approach to stuff like heaven or karma. It's not dualistic. There's not a place after um, death. And karma you know, isn't this spaceless, formless um, you know, kind of uh, thing. Uh, that bounces around in, in piece of people's lives. We're talking about taking those kinds of concepts and bringing it to a kind of more natural approach. If I'm good, you know, some people say, if I'm good, if I'm not sinful, then after I die, I'll go someplace great. Instead of that, you're saying, if you don't sin and you're good to people, then that is the process, not by which you get to heaven, by the way, you, the process by which you live a heavenly life on earth right now. Yeah, and the heavenly life is you get to have the experience of being good to people. That's that's it. That's the you know that's the thing, uh, and you know you get to have the experience of of uh, uh, not being good to people. Well, okay, how's that experience? Is that the one you want to go in the direction of? And if that's the one you pick, well, you get to choose. Um, the universe, uh, you know, it may block you from uh, moving in the direction you've chosen, but it can't stop you from going in that direction. That that you get to pick. Awesome. The uh, last thing I want to just uh, chat with you about is one of the ending slides on your PowerPoint. And it said... Um, or maybe you just talked about it. There's nothing wrong with smelling the roses as long as it doesn't make you late for life. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it that you're, uh, you know, if, if you're headed in a direction, there's stuff along the way. Well, I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I'm just saying, have you, are you keeping walking? Uh, 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 there are things um, that are... Uh, uh, there are plenty of enjoyments along the way to doing whatever it is that you want to make important in your life. The only thing, the only point to not enjoying them is because they interrupt something that's more important. And so uh, there's an old uh, 
spiritual, the title of which was made into a documentary title of the American Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s and 1960s, Eyes on the Prize. Well, are your eyes on the prize? Are you getting uh, late for not just existing but really being alive? Uh, and if you are, well, stop smelling those roses and get on with really being alive because there's no place else to do it but right here and right now. I thought that your spiritual reality uh, talk was uh, well-received by the folks and uh, really engendered a lot of conversation afterwards among um, the attendees here at the ACT conference. And I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are about uh, ACT therapists and how they can incorporate some of what you talked about into their therapy or or also if you want, want to also speak on why you chose this context to talk about spiritual reality at this conference. Well, I think a lot of conversation <clears throat> in acceptance and commitment therapy circles uh, is that, uh, you know, this whole um, bunch of stuff is not about um, uh, a, a, some portion of the population that uh, is diseased or ill. Uh, it's really about the whole human community uh, moving forward in a way that advances their humanity. And that's not for consultation rooms. It's not for clinical psychology programs. It's for uh, it's for psychology broadly construed, the, you know, the study of human beings and, and the behavior of organisms. Um, so uh, when people in my culture, but I think maybe in every culture, are looking for the principles to guide their lives, they are looking for uh, the spiritual dimension. And so... Uh, then since that's so, how about moving in that direction um, uh, with the whole, uh, you know, what's to be offered? Well, let's not just keep it in a consultation room. It's not even designed to be thought of that way, so let's move it out. Now, uh, as a sort of hard-nosed behaviorist, when I first ran into Steve Hayes talking about, uh, well, thank your mind for that, uh, come on, Steve, don't you know that there's not uh, spaceless, weightless, timeless stuff that makes up mind? It's, it's furnished by, you know, uh, thoughts and memories and so on and so forth. Well, of course he knows this. Uh, mind is a manner of speaking that gets across a point. Well, spirit is a manner of speaking that gets a point across a point, and there's no necessity that some sort of dualism has to be invoked. Uh, there's no necessity that spirit means something other than where you are right now, right here. It does, I think, refer to something different than your hands and arms and feet and mouth. It refers to that, that we might call psychological you or spiritual you that inhabits your body, but that in some sense isn't your body. It's the you that was there when you were six and seven and eight and had a completely different body. And it has a few more characteristics that differentiate it um, from uh, your hands and arms and feet and mouth, uh, which could be enumerated. But the point is it's 
it is something that people all over the place know about, are interested in, use as direction givers for their life. And if we're interested in that, then let's move into it. Appreciate you meeting with me today. Thank you so much. If you're interested in further information about Hank's talk, um, there should be a handout posted on the ACBS website um, related to this podcast. So just go to the uh, Association for Contextual Behavioral Sciences website, contextualpsychology.org, and let's do a search for podcast and Hank Rob's name or my name, and you'll stumble across it. It's uh, under a document file called Rob's formulas, um, and he describes um, in these formulas, uh, describes the formula for human liberation and the formula for serenity in action. So again, those documents are on the website. Actually, I thought that the uh, formula for human liberation um, was water, malt, hops, and yeast, but uh, Hank seems to have a different formula for that, so check it out on the contextualpsychology.org website. Up next, I have a brief interview with Rhonda Merwin about values work in treating eating disorders. Hope you enjoy it. Rhonda, why don't you give us a little bit of background on the research you're doing and where you're doing it? All right. Um, I am currently at uh, Duke University Medical Center. I'm working in the uh, Duke Eating Disorder Program, primarily with restricting anorexia, um, applying uh, act to both, uh, you know, that, that population in a clinical capacity and then also doing some, some uh, research on some act-related uh, concepts, so like experiential avoidance and that population and, and, that, and that sort of thing. Okay. How's the work going? Can you tell us a little bit about some of the, uh, either the methods or uh, some of the outcomes from the research that you've been doing or any particular cases that are interesting? Well, it's certainly an ongoing process. Um, I probably have, have um, had the most uh, rich experience from from my uh, clinical work in the intensive evening program. Um, that's a that's an outpatient program for for people that are that are pretty severe. Um, it's it's a mixed uh, clinical group, so you have uh, people with like a whole, uh, you know, the whole uh, range of of kind of eating pathology and that sort of thing. And I've been working on uh, applying ACT. Uh, to body image with that group, and that's an interesting sort of sort of thing to ask people to engage engage in um, to really be present and stay with uh, body related thoughts and feelings. And with this population, that's a that's a really difficult task. And so I've been using an ACT model to sort of facilitate that. Awesome. So with um, with respect to the uh, folks out there that might be listening and using ACT as maybe a an intermediate therapist, that see folks with eating disorders. What are some of the things, I'm trying to think myself of, you know, some metaphors that uh, might be important to use or some specific, you know, you know headlight kind of uh, interventions from the ACT arsenal, if you will. Like what would be some of the more big uh, interventions that, that are important in eating disorders or if you've developed anything uh, unique to eating disorders? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of... A lot of different ways I could go with that question, um, but what comes up most immediately is that with um, 
you know, like I said, I work primarily with restricting anorexia, and and folks that are that are struggling with with um, with that often do not come to treatment on their own accord. Like they're brought in because they become medically destabilized, or some you know for some other reason they're sort of brought in. Family members get worried about the weight loss and, and things like that. And so the values interventions are so so important for this population because they're not motivated to, to gain weight. Gaining weight is very aversive. Their their experience of their their body, it you know, as a, even just small changes uh, in in the body, um, our experience is, is very, very aversive. And so, um, that's a hard, hard thing to, to, um, you know, the refeeding process is so difficult for that population. So I would imagine so important. Can you get decent values work with the, um, eating disorder population? I'm imagining, and this is just a bias and a guess from my point of view, that uh, a lot of folks with eating disorders are youngsters, teenagers. And, uh, I've noticed in my own work that when I work with, uh, adolescents, sometimes the values work is a little sticky. Is that, uh, is that what you're finding also? Well, I work primarily with young adults, adults that um, have an uh, increase in eating pathology in the, um, you know, like as they're going into college, as they're sort of entering college. Um, I don't know that that makes that much difference in terms of chronic- chronological age because developmentally it's probably a pretty similar process. They don't have a real developed sense of, of who they are because the, the eating disorder kind of takes over that 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 sense and so um yeah getting getting to, to to what they actually care about is is a difficult thing the the thing with with um with this particular presentation is people often think they're valuing appearance but you just have to go like a few layers deeper you know and what is that uh, valuing of appearance about like what is it in the service of and there's something there's some other uh, value that's sort of been been hidden beneath that 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 appearance is sort of uh, seen as a means to an end if I look this way then I could have relationships and it's the relationships they're caring about but you have to do some digging you know with that population neat that's awesome what's the accepted and uh, what's the accepted approach or the empirically supported treatment for eating disorders? Um, well, we don't really have a lot of good treatments, especially for adults. Um, for adolescents, the MODSI model is a, is a family uh, therapy model. Um, th- that's probably got the most empirical support, but there's really nothing out there that's like the gold standard treatment for adults, and that's why there's such a need for this, for this work. When you, t- uh, when you treat the folks... Uh, at Duke, do you uh, keep the Maudsley model in place and kind of imbue it with ACT, or do you just do ACT um, separately from that? Well, we we have, there are so many um, things kind of going on simultaneously. We have a lot of, like, clinical research and that sort of thing. So th- there are, um, I'm involved in a, a research project that's comparing Maudsley, the Maudsley model, to another form of, of uh, therapy that, that is more like new wave contemporary therapy, sort of a mix between DBT and ACTIS sort of thing. That's not actually my treatment. Um, but so when we do that, we keep it very pure and very separate uh, when, I'm, when I'm seeing clients in, in the context of that research project. When I'm seeing my adults, um, you know, we, Maudsley has, there isn't empirical support for using the Maudsley model uh, with adults because they don't live at home. And so there's, the Maudsley model uses parents to start the refeeding process and things like that. And so if you don't, you know, if you have adults, that, that obviously doesn't translate as easy. Um, and so we, we use um, ACT and other sort of, other clinicians use CBT, um, more traditional sort of CBT. Okay. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Much appreciation to Hank and Rhonda for their participation in this podcast and also to you for listening to it. I want to remind you to make sure that you sign up for the ACT Summer Institute. It's going to be a great one. Go to Contextual Psychology 
org for more information about that. It's in Chicago at the end of May this year. Hope to see you there. And on the way out, we're going to listen to Hand Me Downs by the Indigo Girls. Enjoy, and thanks again for listening to Functionally Speaking. Brings fullness and loss of love brings wholeness to us all.